As you reflect on this past year, you know, what are some things that come to mind for you? For me, uh, I think back to some sweet memories. You know, Jenny and I celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary in Colorado, really just enjoying the beauty of God's creation in those mountains there. Uh, I also think back, uh, and, and I, uh, this is a true story, I can't make this up, I got a random phone call that allowed uh, for my family and I to experience a trip to Mexico. And then, you know, my little sister graduating from a school in Chicago and our whole family going up there and, and being able to show the city to our boys and just watching them just light up and enjoy the city. But if I'm honest, I could also uh, share with you that this past year uh, was really one of the most difficult years of my life. You know, there was a lot of challenges and relational strains and even though it was difficult, it was not meaningless. There was a lot of things that I learned in and through it. And so I don't know where you're landing on the scale and the spectrum of I've had a great year, one of the best years of my life, or I can't wait for this next year to get here. Like I, I, it's just taking way too long. And so I don't know if maybe you got into the school that you've wanted to get into. I mean, you applied, you got in. Maybe you heard the words, it's a boy, it's a girl. You got engaged. Perhaps you actually really got what you wanted for Christmas. Or on the other end of the scale, uh, you set a goal for yourself earlier this year of losing some weight, and yet you find yourself stepping on the scale and, and you read plus 20 instead of minus 20. Uh, perhaps things at home are just chaotic and, and you're alone or feeling lonely and, and sometimes they go together but sometimes they not but, but you find yourself there wherever you're at you know I, I don't know if you've experienced the high and, and I don't know why it is that when we are as happy as can be that's when, you know, some of our worst emotional and spiritual collapses come into play. You see, I believe it's when we are high and at our highest that we're actually susceptible to falling. My desire is to encourage somebody watching today that as we uh, take a look and as we get ready to enter into this new year, whether you're at a high point, that's the time to get ready or you find yourself feeling down, low, I hope that you would be encouraged and filled with some hope looking forward to this new year. We're going to be taking a look at someone's life today who was at this high point and then dropped off. But, but I don't want you to look at just the drop-off point. I actually want you to take a look at the entire story. And we're going to be doing that today and, and picking out some pieces that we can apply to our own lives. Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be. And this is where Jesus is having his last meal with the disciples. You know, they're breaking bread, they're drinking some strong red grape juice, and here's the thing, they're having a moment, and then all of a sudden an argument breaks out in verse 24, and this argument that breaks out is all about which one of them is the greatest. You know, who's greater? And, and I want you to just picture this and see, you know, 
Have you ever had that happen in your family or with friends or among coworkers? You know, who's the fastest? Who's the smartest? Who's the greatest? I mean, this is what's happening right here. They're trying to one-up each other. Has anything changed? You know, I mean, these are just real people, which I love the Bible because they're just struggling through life as we would. And Jesus sets it straight by saying that the path to greatness is going to look different for you. In verse 26, he says, Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leaders should be like the servant. And this is what Jesus did. In other words, the path up to greatness is actually down. It's different. And that's not really the message that you want to hear that fills you with hope. Yeah, Carlos, you know, the path up to greatness, yeah, is, is down. Uh, that's confusing. But I hope that you can see it through the lens of Christ. Uh, because Jesus already sees you as great. In verse 28, Jesus continues on by saying, those, You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus is saying that they have stuck with Him. And then He acknowledges that He already sees them as great because this is an honor. This is the high There's nothing higher than the disciples could be experiencing right here in this moment. I want you to picture them, you know, just asking, did did you hear that? You know, did you hear that? I mean, did Jesus just say that each of us are going to be getting our very own thrones and we're going to be sitting with him? Heck yes, this is awesome. And the conversation just flips right here from who's the best, who's the greatest to we're the best We're awesome. And there's just high fives going all around. I mean, I could just picture that. I don't know if maybe that's a stretch. But this is the high. And then it's in this moment that Jesus turns to Peter, who also goes by his former name, Simon. And he begins this conversation with him in verse 31. And here's what Jesus says. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now picture the moment. You see, right in the midst of all the high fives and this high and this celebration, what a party killer. I mean, it goes from you're going to be sitting on thrones and you're each getting that to uh, you're going to deny me, Peter. Now I want us to to visualize something that I think is going to help us grasp the heart of this conversation with Jesus. I love spending time with my family. 
and we love going to playgrounds and, and, you know, they love swinging and playing and the monkey bars. And we also love going to the beach and they love running around, getting their energy out, right? I'm talking about my boys. Well, you know, they have unlimited energy, so it really it just gets a little energy out. But whenever we're walking the shoreline at the beach, you know, what do you do when you're there? You know, you, you look through the sand for seashells. Or if you're at a playground, maybe you've been there and, and have you ever found something in the grass or, or maybe the sandbox that got you excited? Sifting is this process of, of separating the good from the bad. And that's oftentimes how we find these shells. That's oftentimes how we find these things. This process of sifting, it removes the stuff you don't want in order to reveal the hidden treasure that is valuable. You know, it sometimes looks crazy and chaotic. You know, the sifting, the shaking, the rattling around. But in the end, when you found what you're looking for, or when that treasure is revealed, it's all worth it. So with that in mind, let's go back to the start of the conversation in verse 31 where Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. You see, Satan has asked. Satan had to get permission right there. You know, in the story of Job in the Old Testament, Satan had to go and ask God uh, as well. You know, he had to get permission in the Old Testament, and now here in the New Testament, he's still needing to ask which only reveals that even though Satan is a powerful ruler of this world, he is not all-powerful, right? He's not omnipotent. He has to ask. Satan also is wanting to sift all of them. That's the other thing I see here in this text. Depending on the translation of the Bible that you're reading, uh, sometimes you might see that Satan asked to sift you as singular, but really in the original context, that you is plural. You know, Satan was wanting to sift all of the disciples, not just one. And here's what I notice, is that even though the enemy was asking to sift them all, he oftentimes wants you to feel like you're alone in it. He wants to isolate you. I mean, we're most vulnerable to temptation when we're alone. When we're isolated, guilt and shame start building up. And we're easier to sift when we're alone. But, but when we clump up together with others, you know, there's some vulnerability in, in speaking up. You know, you're going to be able to notice that you're not being sifted alone. You're together and you're not going to fall through the cracks when you're all together. And that's the value of community. Now, specifically, what does sifting mean in this verse? Well, I think the very next verse, verse 32, is going to provide us with that clarity. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. See, the sifting that Satan wants to accomplish right here is faith-based. He doesn't like you or your family 
or your church. He wants to destroy and do everything possible to just make your faith crumble and fall apart. He's been doing this since the beginning, right? At the garden with Adam and Eve, getting Adam and Eve to believe that God is holding something back from them. He's holding some good back. And he's trying to get their faith to fail that way. Satan is clever in his tactics. You know, um, sometimes we're led to believe that uh, we need more and more. And and then we accumulate and begin to prosper and become self-reliant that we then forget about God. And our faith can fail in that way. But as with Job, here's another tactic. You know, things can be removed and taken away. And, you know, our family, our health, our career, we can lose all of that. And our faith can fail that way as well. If you know Peter's story, though, you know that Peter denies Jesus, not once, but three times. And Peter, he said he was willing to go to prison even unto death. That's what Peter said. But he ends up failing. However, failure is not final. I want to say that again. Failure is not final. Because God is faithful. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. God's not going to start something that he's not going to finish. And so he is faithful. He will complete it. And there is purpose in the hard times that we experience. You see, we go to the gym sometimes for physical conditioning. You know, it's hard work if you're doing it the right way. And, you know, life is like God's gym, right? It's, it, this is where we work out our faith. It's like faith conditioning so that our faith may not fail. And this is the hopeful part right here. It's right here in verse 32 that we oftentimes just skip over. There's a big old but right there. It says, but I have prayed for you. That's Jesus speaking right there. He says, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Yeah, Satan wants to sift you. But Jesus has prayed for you. And I have three observations from this text. The first one is that Jesus prays for you. And this you right here is singular. Jesus prays for you that your faith may not fail. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 35 says that He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him. For He lives to intercede for us. I mean, that right there is a promise that He's able to save you, and He lives. That's His job. That's what He's doing right now. He's praying for us. And so even if you failed, Jesus already knows that, and He's praying for you. But I also want you to notice something. That from Peter's perspective, I mean, if you can picture it, right? From Peter's perspective, it probably didn't feel like it was working, right? He was being prayed for, 
But, I mean, he still ends up denying Jesus three times. I mean, yeah, Jesus prayed for me, but it's not working because look at what's happening in my life. And maybe for you, you think that Jesus checked out. He's busy with bigger things, you know, like with wars and with world peace, but not with, you know, my little problems. But no, Jesus prays for you. It may not always feel like you're being prayed for, as we saw, but yet this is the greatest intercessor of all time, and he's praying for you. Here's the second thing I want us to notice, is that Jesus has the final word. You see, your faith can never be destroyed when you are in Christ. Our failures do not define us. Our failures should not define us. You see, your faith, right, it can't be destroyed. Peter's failure, it wasn't final. You know, he denied Jesus, but he turned back. And check out why I say that, you know, Jesus has the final word. Because Jesus in his prayer and in his conversation is telling Peter, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You see, it's not an if. Jesus says, and when. He knew it was going to happen. He knew Peter was going to turn back. And then he's encouraging Peter, okay, now that you're going to turn back, strengthen others. Peter's greatness was found on the backside of his faith conditioning. You see, you have to allow Jesus to define you, not your failures. And that's what Peter had to do because Jesus believes in you. You're secure in him. And we need to remember that the path up to greatness is going to look different than that of the world. The path up to greatness is down. Peter, he's remembered to this day. You know, we have St. Peter's Basilica, several churches, hospitals, and schools, all named after him. When this conversation was happening, Peter's story was still being written. It wasn't over. That wasn't the end. There was more left to write in his story. And it turned out to be a great story. Likewise, your story is still being written. It's not the end. Hang in there. The third thing I want to point out from this passage is that being strengthened is not a solo act. You know, the act of being strengthened, you can't do that alone. You see, there's times where you're strengthened as an individual. Uh, That's what Jesus was doing here with Peter by praying for him. He was strengthening him. And and that's where we also need to pray for others, to strengthen others. But then there's also times where God strengthens us through another person. See, Peter was tasked with this. You see, when he turned back, it was his job to then now strengthen others. And here's a promise that's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. You see, because this whole thing where, you know, he strengthens us, if you're in need of strengthening, this is for you. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you. He will protect you from the evil one. You have 
Jesus praying for you, strengthening you. But you also have others that come alongside and remind you of verses like this that will strengthen you and encourage you. You know, has God already strengthened you? Maybe you've already been through that difficult season. You're on the backside of it. You're already strengthened. Maybe you're at that school, that office, that workplace, that family for a reason. Who are you praying for? Who are you strengthening? You know, are you there and, and asking God, okay, show me, what are the words that I need to speak that will help encourage someone else? You see, that's the way we need to look at life through that lens. You see, yes, we're strengthened, but we're also strengthened to help others on the journey. Who's in your small group? Peter had the other disciples to strengthen. Are you in a small group? And maybe that's your next step. Wherever you're at, though, don't give up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, you know, this is the encouragement. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Now, now this is not talking about, you know, small troubles. You know, our troubles can be big in this life. But what it's talking about is that they're small in comparison with eternity. You know, so, you know, though our present troubles are small and won't last very long, check out what they produce. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them, right? That vastly outweighs all the struggles and troubles in our life. And this glory will last forever. So verse 18, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that can't be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And I hope that that's where you will focus in on today. That the path up to greatness is different, right? It's actually down. The troubles and the suffering and the sifting is all part of the refining process of our faith. There's no way to shortcut it. Now, I really do know that there's some people suffering this year. And you're right in the thick of it. And so for those of you that are suffering I want you to think about it in a different light. Perhaps it's more about greatness than you originally thought. Now, when we head into a new year, we're all looking for improvement. And maybe this is God's improvement plan in your life, whatever you're facing right now. I want you to know that your story's not done yet. Failure is not final. Jesus has the final word. It's not done. There's more to your story. You have somebody praying for you. Jesus, the greatest intercessor of all time. Your faith is being strengthened. And when all is said and done, you know, here's what we can walk away with. A greater understanding of God. A greater version of you as the impurities are being taken away and our character is built up. And then a greater relationship 
with Christ and with others around us. Are you trusting God to take you on to eternity, to really carry you through this next year? My hope is that you would. Let's pray. Now, wherever you're at, I just hope that you would listen to these words. And, and I want you to just close your eyes. You know, it might be awkward if you're on the train or driving somewhere. Uh, don't do it if you're driving. But, you know, just close your eyes wherever you're at. And I want you to think. These are the words of God. Romans chapter 8. The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us in the presence of God, he's there at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. No trouble. Not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. This right here, what I just read in Romans chapter 8, is a picture of the God that loves you. This is the God that is praying for you, even as we pray. So would you trust Him on into this new year, knowing that He has good for you? And if you want to make a decision today, you can repeat these words out loud or silently wherever you're at. God, I've been trying to go my own way. I've been trying to live life for the approval of people. I've been trying to one-up others. I've been guilty of going against you and your plan for my life. And so God, today, I want to let all that go. And I want to put my faith and my trust in you knowing that you love me, you care for me. And God, I believe the promises that were spoken today. God, that your word is final, that even though I have failed, you have a perfect plan for my life and you are writing my story. And I want my story to change from this day forward onto eternity. I trust you in Jesus' name. Now, if that was you, and if you prayed to receive Christ for the very first time in your life, I, I want to invite you right here and right now 
through our online church right here uh, to click the orange banner right below. And when you click on that orange banner that says, hey, I'm raising my hand. I prayed to receive Christ for the first time today. And I guarantee there's going to be a celebration in the chat. Maybe you have this on full screen right now. I just would love for you to join in in the chat and celebrating and welcoming those that made that decision into the family of Christ. Because this is the best decision that you'll ever make for all of eternity. And then I want to offer a prayer of blessing over you and a prayer over all of us that are joining here right now. God, thank you so much for the lives that you change, the lives that you draw to yourself. And we pray, Lord, for transformation going forward, that this refining process that is starting for some, but that has been taking place for others, that we would be reminded that this is part of building character this is a, a really a hopeful thing that you have prayed for us. It doesn't surprise you that sometimes suffering comes, but we are to take heart knowing that you have overcome the world. And I pray that as a church, we would be encouraged, that we would begin praying for one another and that we, if we have been strengthened, after we have been strengthened, would begin to strengthen others would join in with others in this community of believers, this beautiful community called the church, and would begin to pour into others' lives. Because this life is not meant to live alone, but with others unto you. May you be glorified and magnified. And help us, God, as we enter this new year. Fill us with hope. In Jesus' name, amen.